Hello and welcome to Over the Edge. Today's episode features an interview between Matt Trefiro and Mehdi Dowdy, co-founder and CEO of Catchpoint. Mehdi's experience in IT leadership at Google and DoubleClick inspired him to build the digital experience platform he envisioned as a user, and Catchpoint has been at the forefront of digital experience monitoring since its launch in 2008. In this interview, Mehdi discusses Catchpoint's cutting-edge approach to monitoring, the user demands that will drive innovation in the third act of the internet, and how the current pandemic will serve as a massive digital accelerator. But before we get into it, here's a brief word from our sponsors. Over the Edge is brought to you by the generous sponsorship of Catchpoint, NetFoundry, Ori Industries, Packet, Seagate, Vapor.io, and ZenLayer. The featured sponsor of this episode of Over the Edge is Catchpoint. Catchpoint gives critical knowledge to help optimize the digital experience of your customers and employees. Learn more at catchpoint.com and sign up for a free trial. And now, please enjoy this interview between Mehdi Dowdy, CEO and co-founder of Catchpoint, and your host, Matt Trefiro. Hello, everybody. This is Matt Trefiro, CMO of Edge Infrastructure Company Vapor.io and co-chair of the Linux Foundation's State of the Edge Report. And today I'm here with Mehdi Dowdy, CEO and co-founder of Catchpoint. We're going to talk about Mehdi's background in technology, how he got started, what he thinks about edge computing, and the future of digital experience monitoring. How are you doing today, Mehdi? I'm great, Matt. Thank you so much for, uh, for getting together. It has been a long time. It is, it is. And it's always a pleasure to talk with you. So I think it's going to be a, quite a fun, fun interview. I wanted to start because, you know, I actually don't know a lot about your background. You and I have only uh, spent time together in business context. So how did you even get involved in technology? Uh, so when I came to the U.S., I was uh, in a French business school. I used to, uh, and um, I, I fell in love with New York. And in order for me to stay in the U.S., I got a job at Reuters and the risk management uh, software division. But they didn't need marketing people, and so they only wanted uh, Linux and Unix, well, actually at the time Unix, sales engineers. And I said, well, you know, I can learn that. And I learned and in two months, but I've always been... I've you started been, in the U.S. as a sales engineer for Reuters? Yeah, yeah, as a sales engineer. And then I moved from there to DoubleClick in 1997. Again, as a sales engineer, and I was the first SE on this new platform they were selling to publishers. And an incredible ride. I ended up spending 11 years there until Google bought us, and then a year later. And I didn't see time. But as an SE at DoubleClick, what got me into what I'm doing today was my frustration. So I was an SE, and I would go on demos because there was no Zoom or WebEx at the time. So you would fly to meet customers. And the system would just crap out. It was just like break down. What, what, what time frame is this? This is uh, 1997. Okay. Right? So we, we, had a, we had a single data center at 41 Madison in New York. We had the, an ISP at the time called BBN and UUNet. Right. And there was bar- barely a web browser. <laughs> right, right. Barely a web browser. And we were selling this ad serving technology. And the system would just literally crash out every few minutes or every few hours. And as an SE, I would go in front of these customers and I would get super frustrated because like, I'm in the middle of a demo and just boom, the thing disappears. So I said, we, we have, I, have to get, I have to get early notification systems. So uh, in my apartment, I bought this. Uh, and again, back then we had 28.8 modems, right? Or 56K yeah. modems. Actually, I still have mine. Um, <laughs> and so I bought a server and I bought myself a pager and this is not reimbursed by DoubleClick at the time. And I bought this amazing software called Sidescope, which is this thing I found online. Uh, it was a monitoring tool. And I built my first synthetic uh, network between my house and a friend's house. And it would literally monitor DoubleClick. And as soon as we would have a problem, we would get paged. So as an SE, I would have a nice transition to talking about the dog, cats, weather, whatever it might be. And so I resigned from DoubleClick. I sent this uh, angry email to my CEO after... Yeah. Wait, wait. So I'm, I'm going to pause you for a second. So, right. so you built in your apartment. Okay. So first of all, you said a synthetic network. What the heck is a synthetic network? So it's, I, I wanted to, to have an early detection mechanism to tell me that DoubleClick was having a problem. So that you don't mess of, up the sales presentation. Exactly. Exactly. So I wanted, so it wasn't called synthetic at the time. It was <laughs> you just get a called page, like, You get a page right. and you, you say, oh, wait, before I show you a demo, let me tell right. you about our high quality ad serving. Right. Exactly. <laughs> so it allowed me to have much better transitions 
but at some point, it grew, I grew tired of that. So I, I sent an email to my CEO, uh, Kevin O'Connor at the time. And I told him, listen, Kevin, uh, this system sucks. I'm quitting. And uh, typical Kevin, he replied back in a two-sentence email, stop bitching about it, fix it. Now you're in charge of monitoring at DoubleClick. So go I on. love it. I love it. With any, to anybody <laughs> with ambition, a challenge is exactly the right way to reply. Yeah. I loved it. So that's how I got into the monitoring business. So I did that for 10 years at DoubleClick and then, and then CatchPoint, which is just an extension of that, except we're doing it for other customers. So you say monitoring and the verbiage that I've seen CatchPoint use is user experience monitoring. Can you Correct. describe to me what that fully encompasses? Sure. So monitoring obviously is, is a loaded term. It has data center monitoring, network monitoring, temperature monitoring, all kind of stuff. But so at DoubleClick, I, I was in charge of all of that. And one day we had an outage and I walk into my knock and everybody was chill. Everybody was just like a normal day in the knock and my hair was on fire. I mean, obviously I don't have any more of that. It burned off. That. Is that what happened? It all burned off. Exactly. And uh, I told them, guys, we're down. It's like, so everybody looked at all the internal monitoring systems we had. The network was great. The firewalls were great. The databases were, everything looked great. But from the outside perspective, it wasn't. And so the only way I knew about the, the issue is we used the tools uh, at the time in between 97. <laughs> was your hacked PC in your apartment? <laughs> well, was paging that, you? that, exactly. But also we had, uh, at the time, we had also companies like Gomez, and Keynote systems, which basically created the first synthetic network monitoring system. So that basically gave me a huge lesson, which is it doesn't matter what you monitor as long as you monitor it from the right locations. So if I am an ad-serving company, I'm not serving ads to my other servers in the data center. I'm serving ads to end users all around the world with very different latency profiles and whatnot. So it's very important to monitor things from where the end users are. So that's what at Catchpoint we focus on is more the, the outcome-based monitoring. So if, if you have a website that sells TVs, you want to make sure that you can sell TVs. You still need all the other monitoring, don't get me wrong, right, obviously. But it's like, what are we monitoring? How is this impacting the business? The other thing that I learned through my double-click experience is monitoring for the sake of monitoring doesn't put food on my table. Monitoring needs to answer and to help business. So very early on, I walked into the typical IT shop, finger pointing, the business yelling at the IT, the IT screaming. It's like these business guys don't know what the hell they're talking about. But at the end of the day, we're here as an IT shop to help a company succeed. And so I turned the monitoring to be more business centric. How do we help our salespeople win more deals? Because we can show that we're better than the competition. How can we be the most reliable ad-serving platform in the world, blah, blah, blah. So, so it was always like monitoring needs to be part of a business strategy, not monitoring for the sake of monitoring. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. So where did Catchpoint emerge in this, this story? Sure. So towards the last few years at DoubleClick, uh, before the, the Google acquisition, I also run an R&D team. So I got to know these three other so what, amazing- So what, what year are we in roughly now? 2004, okay. 2005. And so I got to know my co-founders of Catchpoint. So they came and worked with me in R&D at DoubleClick. And uh, I, I loved working with uh, these three individuals. We just got so much stuff done. We, we were cranking projects left and right. Some of them became real products. So, and so in 2008, after the Google acquisition, Google is an amazing company. And I just thought that this wasn't for me anymore. I was a little bit done with the ad serving world and the media world. And I thought monitoring with the cloud explosion that I saw a little bit at Google was going to take over the world. And if the cloud was going to take over the world, monitoring needed to change and monitoring is going to be more from an end user perspective. So we took the hardest decision is to leave Google with all the perks and the nice salaries and the GSUs and everything and the free food. And off we, we went. So in 2008, in September, we launched Catchpoint and we thought we were going to go far away with the first $80,000 we raised among the four of us. That got burned in two months just in legal fees. 
and uh, the rest is history. <laughs> you, you file for bankruptcy? <laughs> what do you mean the rest is history? No, no, we because uh, <laughs> you're still here. The rest is history. Yeah. We're still here, but it has been it has been an interesting ride. So you know, 2008 was an amazing year to start a company, as you can uh, remember the crisis, financial crash. And uh, so we had to buckle down and, and, you know, friends and family. And just literally, we worked very hard, the four of us. So you were largely bootstrapped? Are you, are you, were you ever venture funded or? We were, but only five years after we started the company. So when we raised money from Battery Ventures in 2013, we had about 100 customers and we were, I believe, three or $4 million a revenue company. And we were hugely profitable because we, we were you five had to people. Be. Yeah, you had to be. Yeah. You had to be. So now it's 2020. Can you tell me how big of a business you are now? Like how many employees, like what the shape of your business is? Sure. So we're 250 employees today and it's an awesome responsibility, as you know. And we're growing, obviously. And we're about 450 customers today. We're very lucky to be working with some of the most amazing brands in the world. Some of them are mutual friends like Packet and many others, but a vast variety of company types in the media, entertainment, technology, SaaS companies. And it has been an amazing ride. Maybe tell me about a company that you can talk about, like what problem they came to you with and how you provided a solution and what happened after you provided a solution. So one of them recent is a very big organization, Fortune 20 company kind of thing big need to expand in China from a digital perspective. And so they want to understand how their performance and reliability and availability from their website's perspective is uh, from China. So in that process, we, uh, so again, we're in the synthetic, I mean, one of the products we have is the synthetic monitoring business. So we rely on about 850 locations that we've built around the world. So these are data centers, that we operate, uh, the equinoxes, the packets, et cetera, of the world. And so in China, we have about uh, 150 locations that are collecting telemetry that are used not only by technology teams or SRE teams, but also in this particular case by a business organization that is trying to understand how is our digital presence in China doing? Do we have any challenges? How do we go and fix it? So we ultimately, Matt, what we do is we help the business expand their revenue or protect their revenue. Because if you don't know how bad things are, how can yeah, you Yeah, I think the example you, you used in the intro was imagine you're a seller of TVs. What you really care about is how many people are buying TVs. Was a direct function of how many people right. are capable of buying TVs, at least or having a good experience. Because exactly. we know, you know, every every couple of seconds of delay on a shopping cart, for instance, means that many more abandons. And Absolutely. yeah, that's interesting. Okay, so so how can you help our, our listeners understand how your technology works? Like how, do, how do you actually measure, without being inside the head of the person, how do you actually measure user experience? Yeah, uh, so you just used a very interesting term when we were talking about the person buying a TV. So the way I look at Catchpoint is we're like digital mystery shoppers in a way. So except that we focus on four key criteria because on the internet you have to. So our technology allows you to look at the reachability problem. Can I get to you? Can me, a user in Los Angeles on Spectrum, can get to X, Y, and Z.com? So, so, so let, me, let me pause you and see, see if I can say that back. So yeah. the actual endpoint, meaning someone that looks like a user on the other end of the last mile network. So at the end of a 4G network Correct. or at the end of a, a somebody's fiber or a cable plant. Okay. Yep. That's exactly it. So we have these 850 mystery shoppers that are connected to various networks that matter on the internet in the right physical locations uh, where populations are, are, are a key factor. And so reachability, can I get to you? If I can get to you, are you up or down? If you're up, how fast or slow are you? And then how reliable are you? And the reliability is extremely important. Reliability means for the majority of our customers and for me as well is are you able to deliver the same quality of service to those users 24-7? Because it's easy to deliver great performance, great availability at 2 o'clock in the morning if nobody's on your site. But can you deliver the same one at 2 p.m., at noon, at Yeah, at when everybody's hours? buying because TVs or whenever. Yeah. Exactly. Uh, or whenever everybody's watching yeah. TV these days or Netflix, which is now 24-7. 
So that level of consistency is reliability. And today you hear the word site reliability, engineering, those kind of things. And it's really about how can we put teams and tools and metrics, whatever, to drive that reliability. So our customers care about those four, four quadrants, if you want, or cardinal points. And that's we help them with our technology to answer those questions. Are you reachable? Are you available? Are you performing? And then how reliably are you doing that? Yeah. And when you think about e-commerce, I, I, I get the, the kind of mystery shopper example. So you've got these little bots that are going out and, right. and testing the important parts of the site 24 right. seven yeah. and then reporting back. Do you, I imagine you, you work with other segments. I mean, do you have like, uh, you know, synthetic Fortnite players and, you know, do you go into gaming? Do you go into just about everything? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, we go in, in absolutely everything. So there is obviously the web part that is important, but the internet is more than just a web page or an e-commerce page. So we are very good at, for example, monitoring DNS infrastructures. We have a lot of gaming companies that use us where latency is extremely important. So we have certain capabilities. I have an 11-year-old. I know how important it is. Yes. My 11-year-old walked into my office one day and said, Dad, our network sucks. Yeah, what's your, what's your ping speed, Dad? Right. <laughs> and I looked at him. It's like, where did you learn all of this? But that's exactly the importance. When I looked at him, I said, this is why we must do better, right? This is why even edge computing is more important today because it's about latency. Yeah. And it's about through the eyes of the user, right? Exactly. My 11-year-old has a one, millis- has a one millisecond timeout in his head. Right. We grew up with like 56 modems. You can wait a few seconds. Sometimes you wait a half not, hour not right, to download a file. Yeah. Right. <laughs> yeah. That's really interesting. And so, you know, as we move into this new era, that's really different. And we'll come around edge computing on this edge computing podcast, but I sort of want to want to stay here for a minute. Sure. So again, this sort of general category of what you do is user experience monitoring, but this world, like the user might be a machine. It might be a, a sensor or it might Correct. be something else. Are, are you monitoring? A yes. Car. Are you monitoring the users that aren't like humans? Absolutely. So when you think about, so we do web monitoring, DNS monitoring, all that good stuff. But a lot of our, our second most popular platform or tool that is used in our platform is our API monitoring. Because again, the majority of the stuff that is happening today is machine to machine. One system calling another system via an API to get something. Even actually on a web page where you have a merchant gateway, that credit card is an API call, but it's one machine to another. We also worked with a, a bunch of other companies that are in the IoT. We built a, an MQTT monitor, for example, to be able to monitor and pretend that we're an IoT device trying to register with the, with the gateway. And so we are always innovating and trying to bring that level of visibility to uh, different parts of the internet that, again, are not just necessarily somebody uh, looking at the web page. That's neat. And, and it, brings, it brings a new, for me, a new understanding of your company name. I don't know if this was the origin, but I can imagine literally you sending little, you know, putting little bots out there, so to speak, that are catching the data points that are important. It's a right. very, very interesting, That's very exactly. interesting image. Yeah. So, you know, you and I are, are both fond of the three acts of the internet and this, this emergent yes. third act, which we're just starting to see now. Can you tell us a little bit about you know, your interpretation of the third act of the internet and how you're changing your business to adapt? Sure. So, and again, it's driven mostly by, our, by what we see from our customers and what they are worried about for the future. So when I think about the internet, it was, again, I mean, when even going back to my double-click experience, we had one data center with two ISPs. There was no Akamai at the time. There was nothing. And then customers were complaining about how slow our ad serving was because in, in an ad serving system, there is the ad matching and then we needed to deliver the banner. You spent 150 milliseconds going back and forth across the world. Right. Oh, it was, it was more than that. Trust me. And we decided at the time, it's like, okay, we need to distribute the biggest payload, which is the media, the actual GIFs and the JPEGs at the time. So we started building our own media network. So we went and opened like three or four or five other data centers. And we said, okay, we're going to use DNS to round robin people based on geography and whatnot. And then there was a company like Akamai that came. Before that, we used another one called Spidero. And so the first part of the internet was like a single data center, monolithic thing. The second part was like the CDN, right? So which is like, let's, let's spread the content as close as possible to the user. But when I look at some of the technologies that are out there today, 
SaaS applications, gaming, telemedicine, cars, and whatnot, you need to be even closer to that end user. Yeah. You really need to reduce that latency. When you look at VRs, when you look at all these amazing telemedicine, especially in a COVID thing, I just had the telemedicine thing with my doctor for my arm a few days ago. It was awful experience. I mean, doing it over Zoom, I mean, really? We are seeing customers demand low latency stuff. And so therefore, what happens is you're going to have to break away from just the CDN model and have capabilities much closer to Los Angeles, for example, where I am, or I don't know where you are these days, Matt. California, but yeah. All right, so you're in Berkeley. So Berkeley is an, is not San Jose. Yeah. You know, if, if most of the data centers are in San Jose or God knows what else, you still have 20 millisecond latency. Maybe that's too much for certain applications. So how can we get even closer to the end user for even applications, not only static content or dumb content or whatever you want to call it? And you raise a really interesting point because, you know, I I tend to think of the big driver of this third act of the internet being that we're moving from a world of primarily humans talking to machines to machines talking to machines. And not that humans are going to stop talking to machines. Uh, In fact, our demands are going to become, are going to grow as humans, right? You know, right now we wait ones of seconds for Facebook to refresh. That's fine. But if there's a one second delay in uh, a video call, it's it's absolutely frustrating. It's it's like being an 11 year old trying to play Fortnite with five milliseconds of ping. Right. And so you know, like the e-commerce example. So I I ran an e-commerce company, and we had an interesting card abandon problem, which was you know in order to provide the best information in the cart in real time, we were constantly calculating shipping and tax based on what people are typing in. And so we had to make a bunch of API calls and these were to different vendors because we didn't know how to calculate sales tax. It's complicated. So we called Avalara, I think was a company we're using, you know, and they would take 50 milliseconds and then, you know, the shipping alternatives, which we'd have to compare, we'd have to hit three shipping companies and, you know, and suddenly your cart takes a few seconds to refresh. Taking minutes. Right. Right. And like people just say, okay, I'm done. Bye. And in, in a world of machines talking machines, you know, like ones of seconds are how humans evaluate their tolerances, but like milliseconds and microseconds and nanoseconds are how machines measure their, you know, speed or latency or experience, so to speak. Right. And so, yeah, I can, I can see why your business is going to become even more important in this world because, you know, at least with the human experience, you literally could hire 800 people out in the field to report back. Right. But not, not with, with machines, machines, not when you, when it's important to know the changing conditions like every second. Yeah, and so and so, what we're seeing from our customers, especially the ones that are extremely latency sensitive, whether they are car manufacturers that that are in the self-driving business, those kind of companies, they really need super low latency between the car to a data center where telemetry is going to be sent and decisions are going to be returned. And so, what they're asking from us is like, "Hey, Catchpoint, I know you have all these locations, but..." What are some of the other locations? Can you show me an, an edge location so I can choose which cloud provider to use, which CDN to use? How is my latency to a bunch of people in Santa Monica versus a bunch of people in downtown Los Angeles? This is how, how far some of these yeah, customers... really nuanced. Absolutely. Yeah, really nuanced. That's really interesting. So we went from uh, one country's latency to maybe a city latency we're going to have to get down to the zip code. I mean, I'm exaggerating, but it's literally how fast things have to move. So you're at 850 sensing locations today. Where do you see it going? Right. Well, I hope my CFO is not listening (laughs) to this. Well, I think we're going to hit about 1,000 early next year locations. And our mission is we want to monitor as many things from as many places as possible. So we're doing a lot of things to add. We're focusing a lot right now on edge, as you know. We are in talks with various companies, various ISPs. And I think a lot of them are realizing the need of of edge compute and being able to provide compute at the towers, compute at certain smaller facilities. I was on the phone with Cox the other day, which is like they're starting to, they're looking at offering some edge compute capabilities for on the Cox network, for example. Obviously, the big guys are playing in, in this, Google, AWS, et cetera. But companies like yourself were innovating and trying to come up with 
super scalable solutions when it comes to to edge platforms. And I think the key thing is going to be, you know, very modular, bare metal capabilities, but also compute, VM, containers, that kind of stuff. But the thing is going to be scale in how, how many locations. So we're looking at how can we get to the two, three, four thousand locations in the next few years, to be honest. Yeah, I think that's really true. Well, and you can tell your CFO, maybe there's partners that'll help you pay for the deployments. <laughs> well, and it, you know, it also seems that, you know, this kind of like what you're measuring potentially gets more complex because there's a lot of, there are more points of failure or more points of delay. So in addition to measuring kind of the endpoint, like the consumer, whether it's a device or a human, are you also looking to instrument, you know, the chain, the whole path? The whole okay, path. yeah. The whole path, absolutely. So the customers that we're talking to today that are, again, these are existing customers that we're engaged with, they want to know, for example, somebody's in Santa Monica, they are talking to an Akamai, let's say, but then Akamai has to go back to an origin somewhere else. And then Akamai has to talk to another data center somewhere. So they're looking at, they want to understand the whole path because again, our job in the monitoring, again, you don't do monitoring for the sake of doing monitoring. You do monitoring to collect data to answer questions and to reduce problems. So when you think about mean time to repair, which is the majority of our, of our customers on the SRE side are, are using to, to measure themselves, Mean time to repair is detection, identification, escalation, etc. And so you need to detect the problem, but you need to identify as quickly as possible who you need to call because if, if it's Akamai or Fastly or somebody else or it's Equinix, you need to figure that stuff out very, very quickly. Or an ISP, like if level three blew up a fuse, you need to know that as quickly so as possible. So to your customers, you're not only providing sort of endpoint alert, like, hey, the users in this area are probably having a bad experience. Right. You're providing me some diagnostic tools to figure out what the root cause Absolutely. of that bad experience is. Absolutely. You nailed it. So we, we show the experience data, You're which like is the high level for my top app. of the iceberg stuff. <laughs> there you go. And also the, the diagnostic data. And last year, we added the BGP capability as well, because that's the other thing is like, what are we seeing on the network? So we want to provide as much diagnostic because, again, if you want to deliver stuff in milliseconds, you also now need to troubleshoot in milliseconds and give answers as of why things are broken in milliseconds. Yeah, that's really interesting. So you, you mentioned autonomous vehicles or vehicles in general, I think, as one of the customers creating demand for these millisecond level user experience measurements that you're introducing. What other industries and use cases are you seeing you know, out of that cutting edge? So a lot of warehouse automation, robotics, uh, again, machine, you, you said it earlier, right? It's machines talking to other machines. They need the answers very, very quickly. So we're seeing a lot of that there. We're also seeing a lot in the gaming industry. Like some of these games are just, and again, especially with COVID, what, what, what we're seeing is uh, gaming is becoming a social platform where people are interacting, where people are getting together. They can't, they can't hang out in a bar, so they're playing Fortnite or God knows what else they're playing. And Sony is launching a new platform. Microsoft is following that. So gaming is big. Streaming is big. These are the things that we're seeing the most, uh, but very low latency requirements. Got it. This is kind of an out there question, and you may or may not have an answer, but, uh, but I'm super curious. So Catchpoint was founded 2008, is that right? Yes. Okay. So is there anything that Catchpoint has, has identified that was previously unknown or not, not widely known that was kind of like structural, like something that just needed to be fixed in the internet or across lots of companies where you just had this like general insight from you know, one customer's experience or a couple of customers' experience. Is there anything that stands out? I think having a single vendor is no longer an option anymore. So what does that mean? A single vendor is no longer an option. Having one single CDN vendor. Ah, so one, a diversity, so second yeah. sort of diversity of routes, resilience, the whole thing. Yes. Interesting. That is, I think, yeah. the, the, the thing I'm, I'm the most surprised by how fast that movement has taken off. Before it was reserved to a few large, super sophisticated companies. Like I think the first time I saw multi-CDN was at LinkedIn, which is like on the cutting edge of user experience. Sure. But today, it's literally everybody I talk to is doing multi-CDN, multi-cloud. I have one customer that doesn't use 
one cloud vendor, they use five cloud vendors. They have a cloud vendor for the Middle East, they have a different cloud vendor for China, they have a different cloud vendor for Europe and a different cloud vendor for the US and North and the America. Now, do, they, do they use data from Catchpoint to renegotiate their contracts or like enforce SLAs? Enforce the SLAs, wow, yes. Wow, yes, I can see. That's a really neat, yeah. Our data, our data can be an enforcer. But I think what they do with the data mostly is like, hey, we're going to make a decision. In China, we'll use AliCloud versus AWS, for example, or in Indonesia, AliCloud is better, or in Dubai, AWS versus Microsoft. That could change, right? Like Amazon could go in and add a new fiber route and suddenly like- Off you go. It's great now. Absolutely. Really interesting. Do you do any general monitoring yourself that's not tied to specific customers to derive sort of insights like that? Yes, we do, but we try to stay away from publishing some of that data because I have I have a strong belief about uh, benchmark and publishing public benchmark. I, in my opinion, I think if you're number one, it's great. If you're number two and three, it sucks. Mm. So I would rather. So we do benchmarks, but we do them privately. We are. I, I don't think it serves anybody's purpose to, you know, put the number out there and say. Unless you're Gartner and selling reports. Yeah, but I don't sell data, right? I would rather work with companies to improve things. I I know it's just a personal belief. Yeah, that's interesting. I I like that you're opinionated on that. Yeah, I I, I do. I mean, I I fight with my marketing team all the time. Yeah, no, no, because I mean, I'm a marketer and I'm immediately thinking, oh yeah, we could publish all, the state of the internet. Yeah, the state of the internet. We have have network latency data, et cetera. So yeah, we could, but I really think it it sucks. I, I, it doesn't serve anybody's. I don't know. You know, I told you. Yeah, we start, it grabs we st- headlines, but is it really useful? Is yeah. it really useful? You make a lot of enemies. You make one friend, and then sure. you make two thousand enemies. Sure. And there's always edge cases. There's always like, well, you tested the wrong thing. That's a, a big problem with benchmarks. That's why that's why there's like a hundred different chip benchmarks. I mean, if you ask me to benchmark the top websites, like yeah. the top e-commerce website, right? It's impo- The numbers don't make any sense. I will tell you that Apple is the fastest website. But you know why? Is that really true? Or are you just yeah. using No, no, Apple is the fastest website. Fascinating. But you know you know why? They don't have any third parties on their pages. Right. They are And they're serving up static content. <laughs> right. So can I compare Apple.com yeah. to Amazon.com? Come on. It's not a fair comparison. Fascinating. But somehow people want to see that. But you know, if you're going to do benchmark, benchmark apples to apples. Otherwise, yeah, it becomes a fruit salad and and it's it's not great. And the other thing about benchmark that, I, again, I have a strong opinion. We started the company in 2008. You know, those banks that were so big, they could have never failed. Mm-hmm. They were benchmarked by some authority somewhere and they, they gave them A grades, right? Yeah. Yeah. You could end up with a black eye because you missed something. And yeah, exactly. it's much better. to. Uh, no, that's, that's very sage. Unless as an industry, we come together and we come up with the benchmarking standard that says, this is how I'm going to benchmark AWS versus Azure versus X, Y, and Z. This e-commerce versus that e-commerce, then there is no point. Sure. And even that would be contentious. Yeah, that's that's interesting. That's interesting. Although there is a general, there is some generalized information that that I think people are interested in. I'm certainly interested in. It's like, what are the overall trends in yes. the internet? Right. Correct. And actually, I mean, can, you must have a spidey sense of what's happened since 2008. Like what, what have been the big inflection points in, in terms of like, meaningful improvements to user experience. Granted, that's a vague description, but, yeah, yeah. you know, I mean, when videos stopped buffering for me, high-res videos stopped buffering me, that was, a, that was an inflection point. Are there other inflection points because you're closer to this that you've seen? I think one of the biggest inflection points I've seen was the dine outage, the DNS dine outage of two, a few years ago, three, four years yeah, ago. Yeah, it turns out one company can break the internet. Right, and that was an incredible thing. So a few things happened. Again, resiliency, where people had one DNS vendor. Overnight, people had two or three. Myself, I went from having one DNS vendor to having three. Interesting. Because I, I said, listen, if I'm the monitoring business, can't I can never- fail. Yeah, you've got to be fail, more right? reliable than, than so, your customers. So that was, that was a, a huge thing. The other one I've seen around DNS as well is a lot of companies realize that DNS is more important than, than ever. Because it's your first experience as a, as a user when you type a domain, right? And so a lot of people try to do that at scale in-house. And one trend I've seen is like people are starting to rely on companies like NS1 today or Dyne and, and others. So that's one trend. Again, the multi-CDN is like taking off big time. I think another trend that I've seen is this concept of observability, 
being able to collect as much data as possible, but to answer questions and to be able to tie or connect the dots. We are seeing some companies do an amazing job connecting the dots and answering those questions like what's broken, when, why, etc. And then obviously the cloud adoption, right? I never, I didn't think it would be that, that popular, but that has been an incredible journey on the cloud, like AWS and Google GCP. Yeah, that's so common. It's like oxygen. We tend to forget how Absolutely. transformative that, right. that's really been. The only trend, unfortunately, that I have seen improve is the ability for, at least in the US, for us to get better high-speed internet from homes. That's unfortunately one trend that I'm, I'm, I'm very concerned about when in Europe and Asia, there is a lot of Especially innovation. Especially rural communities, yeah. There is no internet access or very limited. I mean, I get like, I'm lucky I have one gig down from Spectrum, but I only have 20 meg up. Now, try to have four family members doing four Zooms at the same time. Right. It gets a little bit tricky and that's the maximum I can get. So the digital divide, I'm a little bit worried about, to be honest, Matt, especially in, you know, with COVID, people not being able to go back to schools in the Bronx. What, what's going to happen to those kids? Yeah. How are they going to have access to the internet? Yeah. So the digital divide, I'm a little bit worried about because we're going to leave a generation of people and kids behind if, if we don't fix that. Yeah, that's, uh, that's a really important trend to pay attention to. And, you know, in some ways, I have reasons to be optimistic about that, you know, coming from an infrastructure provider, because a lot of what we, and I mean, collectively as an industry, not Vapor.io sure. necessarily, but what we're collectively building is a lot of infrastructure to support this third act of the internet, which is billions of devices generating zettabytes of data 24-7. <laughs> so, you know, the old asymmetrical Internet. I mean, it's kind of cute that you only have 20 right. megabits per second up, right? Because right. like, right. that doesn't make any sense in today's world. It made sense a long time ago when we were primarily consuming content. But like you and I, we're, we're generating, you know, uh, a 1080p video feed both directions. And like you said, you got four people in the house doing that. But a lot of infrastructure being built. And, you know, even in rural areas, you know, you're seeing like precision agriculture driving yes. fiber deployments and data center deployments in, in rural America. And I would hope... And I don't have any reason to know that this will or will not happen. But I hope that that infrastructure would create new economic equations for delivering better internet service. I, I hope so. I mean, uh, that's what I'm hoping because we also have a lot of people that are got with COVID that are moving away yeah. from cities. I mean, I have a lot of my employees that moved as far as Montana, back where their families are from. And the internet is not that great. So I'm hoping that you know this trend is going to to make sure that we all have super high-speed internet access no matter where you are in the U.S. Well, and so you, you must actually see that, right? You must actually see that, look, I, I don't care how much CDN or edge computing you do in this area, these homes have bad internet. Right. Yeah, and, th and that's the weak link. It's, it's that that's last mile. Weakness. That's really interesting. So we have to fix two things, Matt. We have to bring low latency, so meaning more data centers, more compute capabilities as close as possible to these end users. But if most of these end users are not driving a Tesla car in Santa Monica, but now you're dealing with the John Deere tractor yeah. in the farm in Montana, how are you going to deal with that low latency, especially when people are going to move back? So we have this two spectrum where we need to bring low latency and more capabilities within the cities, but we also need to make sure that people have internet access. Yeah. Do you have a, an example of a customer of yours that has uh, gone from a, a non-edge, I mean, edge computing is really early, so the answer may not be yes, or maybe you can't talk about it, but a, a customer that has implemented uh, some, you know, third act of the internet type edge computing where there is compute storage and actual processing happening in a nearby location where you've kind of looked at the before and after user experience? Do, do you have customers that are? We have one customer that has done that, but they have the, the technical capabilities because they own a lot of real estate. And so they've built their own edge uh, compute kind of solution. We are talking to many that are exploring various solutions. I mean, we're very early on. And uh, the other thing that is, I think, causing a lot of delays and confusion is the whole 5G thing. Yeah, I want to talk about that. I think that's creating a lot of confusion uh, between the different 
protocols or standards and who has what and when and, and, and differentiating between the marketing fluff versus reality is, uh, is causing a lot of angst uh, among people. Uh, so that's that's one thing we're seeing is uh, is at least one customer of ours that has that has done this. Yeah, so let's let's talk a bit a little about uh, mobility. So I imagine measuring user experience changes when a device is in motion and handing off right. between cell towers and stuff. T- tell me how Catchpoint looks at this. So we have a a wireless capability. So we have uh, about forty in the U.S. locations, but they're fixed. They they don't move. Uh, 40 locations that are uh, measuring 40. the wireless last mile. Yes, Got correct. It. So they're literally connected to a Verizon, AT&T, T-Mobile, Sprint, 3G, 4G, and whatnot. Then we, because we have a real user monitoring capability, uh, we also can collect data from every single user interaction with the website or mobile app. So we have we have that perspective, but it's not synthetic. It's passive. It's after the fact we collect that data. And we are, we've been trying for the past, God, two years since 5G has become, quote unquote, available or people talking about it, to work with some of these companies to give us access to 5G capabilities. But, you know, it's not available yet. And when we talk to, let's say, a rep from any of the major ISPs or providers, uh, hey, how do I get a 5G uh, thing? It's like, uh, I don't know. Yeah, <laughs> I have a, a Verizon 5G phone, and uh, I, I have yet to have the little 5G indicator go on. Not right. that I've tried, but yeah, no, it doesn't uh, go on at my house, and I haven't left my house in three months. Yeah. So <laughs> yeah, no, it's uh, it, it's. I mean, I, I have a bunch of them here, like a bunch of hotspot systems from all all three of them that are supposed to be 5G. I have a huge antenna in my garage but still no 5G reception. Yeah, well, and clearly that's going to change. It's just a matter of, of when. So how, how do you see the world changing with 5G? And you know, not necessarily directly related to your business, but maybe to the businesses of your customers and your need to monitor. Well, again, this is what's going to require more low latency stuff. You're, you're going to open a fire hose of data capabilities on a mobile phone. I'm going to, I mean, I can see my kids streaming like not just one Netflix. They're going to be watching Netflix, Hulu, Disney and, and, and Peacock at the same time. <laughs> so the data consumption just keeps on, on increasing, right? So again, the low latency stuff and is going to be more important there. So that's how I see things. Again, more data, more consumption, more interactive services, and that interactivity requires a lot more data capabilities. Got it. And when you think about edge computing broadly, where are you seeing the most activity that's interesting to you? in edge computing? What's caught your imagination? Being able to put stuff under a tower, a cell tower, I think that is an interesting approach. I think in very dense areas, buildings, being able to stuff compute systems sure. in a closet somewhere. Yeah, I, th- I think it's like how, I mean, if, if there was an ideal solution where literally I can ship a little catch point one of our catch point appliances and put it anywhere, everywhere I want. I think that would be uh, unbelievable. Is there a catch point appliance? Yeah, there is. There, there are both. Is it a little Raspberry Pi or is it a server? No, no, it's, uh, it's an Intel NUC. It's okay. based on the Intel NUC platform. But we're trying to shrink it to literally have one of these models. It's literally a tiny device, like two inch by two inch where we want to, uh, but I mean, it's very limited capabilities, right? The, the compute is so small. But I think we, we, we have different All appliances. All it's got to be able is to time and phone home. Exactly, exactly. So it depends. Like if you want to do like heavy-duty browser stuff, you need, you need big processors. But, you know, if is this something API you might calls, send like, like Nielsen? We had like Nielsen families. You might actually yeah. send it to people and say, like, stick this in your Tesla. Stick this, you know, download this app to your phone. Stick this on your desktop. So it's funny you say that. So we have a network today of about 150 of these running at people's houses. And we call that our last mile network, where we basically pay people to host one of our. I want to be points. a beta tester. I won't charge you. No, it's not. It's not beta. It's uh, it's okay. <laughs> it's actually in production. And what we do is we subsidize their internet connection for the year. So we pay Super you three hundred sixty cool. bucks a year to to have that. I mean, the craziest place we've put catch point is on an airplane. Oh. And uh, that was well, an I can awesome tell you, the, ex- the user experience is horrible. Last 10 times I flew. <laughs> yes. Uh, but this one was, it was a, a big company's CEO private jet. Oh, that's so cool. 
And uh, so we had like three catch point nodes. Uh, and what was amazing is, you know, the this inter- was your jet, Matty? No, 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 no jet. If I had the jet, I wouldn't worry about latency. <laughs> uh, I would have other things. But, other things uh, to do on the jet. But uh, this company ha- had an interesting uh, problem with their satellite communication. So we were running like trace route data as the plane flew from the US to Europe, back and forth. It, it was fascinating. That's neat. So again, latency is a, is a problem everywhere. I hadn't even thought of the, you know, the internet of flying devices. Right. Well, I learned, I learned the hard way. You can't put Cat5 on a, on a plane. So that we didn't know. We had to learn that the hard way. You can't is have it like a fire? A fire yes. Yeah, so it has to be wireless, Wi-Fi only, those really? kind of things. Interesting. Yeah, yeah, it's very interesting. But every time we shipped a new device, we had to get FAA approval. It was, and then the, the second craziest place is on the buses. So, so some of these companies, as you know, in California and whatnot, have buses to shuttle their employees. So we had like uh, we had the fleet of this company's buses, and we had Catchpoint making sure that the employees were getting a good experience on the Wi-Fi, working from San Francisco to wherever. Do you, do you have a sense of the scale, the amount of data you generate per second or hour or day? Uh, a lot. <laughs> a lot. Well, so, so yes, yeah, so I won't make you reveal that, but a lot. Are you or any of your customers using machine learning to... Yes. Okay. Interesting. Can you tell me a little bit about that? Well, uh, so mach- for machine learning to really work, Matt, you, you need a lot of data and you need a lot of contextualized data, meaning that you need a lot of data sources. I have one data source. It's not, I mean, we, we do some machine learning on our end, but it's not very interesting, right? But let's say, imagine you are a company and you get like telemetry from Catchpoint. You have your network telemetry, your server telemetry, your IoT devices telemetry, etc. This is when machine learning can become really fun because now you're absorbing a lot, you're learning, you're detecting patterns. And so we have a lot of customers that are doing that. They build their own things or they're using, you know, companies like uh, Splunk and others to be able to to analyze that data at scale and, and try to build models. But it's going to be fascinating. It I seems, mean, it seems absolutely I am, inevitable, right? Because yes. you've got you've got these real-time devices. Some of them are, you know, safety critical, life critical, sure. or at least dollar business critical. And because everything's happening in, you know, milliseconds the detection and the remediation has to be in milliseconds. You know, oh, back, yeah. back in the day, if my checkout process was a little yeah. slow in Peoria, like a human could go figure out right. what's going on. And you're not going to have that option. Matt, I have some customers, they deal with code blue stuff at the, the hospital. Mm, yeah. So the, the, the criticality of monitoring some of these things is, is insane. I mean, if we screw up, you, you can see the consequences, right? So, so these guys are dealing in milliseconds and they're not dealing about the cart being abandoned. They're dealing about like somebody having a heart attack and dying out of it. So the monitoring and, and becomes critical. I mean, again, critical if I'm the CEO of Best Buy, of course, shopping cart abandonment is as critical as, as anything else. But some of these people are dealing with life and death kind of thing. Yeah, yeah. So Mary, as you as you look into the future, Right. And, you know, we're on this precipice where I certainly feel this, and I sense you feel it, that edge computing in the way that we've just been talking about it, which is compute right at the edge of the network supporting millions and billions of devices and low latency workloads, that's just starting to become reality. You know, like my company's in four US cities today, and we're going to be in 36 in 18 to 24 months. But if you look out in the future, let's say the next, next 18 months, if there was one domino that you could personally topple, like one thing that would just, you know, get this whole industry to go a little faster in converging on these kind of universally deployed solutions, what would it be? What would be the one thing that you'd push on? I think we're in the middle of it is this pandemic. I think this pandemic has, has shown the need for better data, better network connectivity, better end user experiences low latency. I mean, if we're going to do videos with 6,000 people, with 5,000, with 200 people, I think COVID is a digital accelerator that no industry has ever seen. I That's mean, I really born, interesting. Yeah, it's I hard to disagree with in, that. In 1918, but I'm sure there was a lot of innovation that came out of that pandemic. I think we are in the middle of the biggest kick in the butt we all need to make sure that we innovate and, and deal with this challenge. I mean, we are... I mean, I don't want to be on the pessimistic side, but I don't know when we're going to have a vaccine to deal with this. 
I don't know when we're going to go back to whatever normal is going to look like. Uh, but the only thing I know for sure is we're, we're going to be super duper data hungry and we need solutions. Yeah. You know, it's, it's one example of this that I just have seen in the last few days. You know, virtual reality has like every year for the past 10 years has been the, the year that virtual reality is suddenly going to become, you know, mass this market. This is the year now. Yeah, this, I think so. This, this I think is so. The year. There, there's, a, there's a guy that's, quote unquote, driving himself across the country on Google Street View. One yeah. click at a time, right? Right, like I'm but dying to travel, and you throw on a Oculus and you go visit, right. you know, Paris. But th- that's static. I'm talking about virtual reality with kids in a classroom. Yes, that's true too. Because my kids are not going back to school anytime soon, right? We just got noticed that uh, until next year or 2021. But kids need that social interaction, and you know, yes, you're on Zoom. It's kind of cute at the beginning, but. Zoom is not a classroom. Yeah, I want the holodeck on the enterprise. Yeah, so I think COVID is uh, is a kick in the butt for all of us to innovate and bring solutions. I mean, even like Zoom, you're seeing so on the video conferencing, there are so many companies that are, have been innovating the past few weeks and few months, like to bring different kind of video conferencing solutions to to deal with fatigue. To emulate those, and, yeah, those group experiences absolutely. and the dynamics I mean, Microsoft, that you, yeah. Microsoft is announcing this new thing in Teams where you can see people like sitting. Like in an audience, yeah. Yeah, right, very cool. Right, So I, th- I think COVID is here to make us better. We just need to hurry up a little bit. Yeah, that's great insight. So, Maddie, thank you so much for spending time with us this morning. Can you tell us how people can find you online and how they can find Catchpoint online? Yeah, sure. So, catchpoint.com, LinkedIn, Twitter, Catchpoint. What's or- your Twitter handle? M Daudi, M D A O U D I, or catch point in one word. Terrific. Looking forward to connecting. Yeah, super many. Yeah, absolutely. That does it for this episode of Over the Edge. Over the Edge is made possible through the generous sponsorship of the Magnificent Seven Vapor.io, Packet, Seagate, Catchpoint, Ori Industries, Zenlayer, and NetFoundry. To get in touch with the show, email us at team at overtheedgepodcast.com. Thank you for listening. In a rapidly growing digital economy and highly competitive market, you can't afford to offer a suboptimal digital experience to your customers. Catchpoint gives you a fast, easy, and proactive customer-centric view of how your web and digital assets are performing and all the data to optimize them. Learn more at www.catchpoint.com to test drive the solution and sign up for a free trial.